Oh, yeah, Jay. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go for game four this evening. And uh, always great to do, uh, even if it's a mini uh, pod, uh, let's get it done. All right. This is going to be episode 155. So, Dennis, I'm going to call my shot right now. 55. It's in the air. Quentin Byfield. He's been sniffing. He's been close. It looked like he was going to get a goal in a couple of these games. I think tonight is the night. Game four. Quentin Byfield not only finds the score sheet, he finds the back of the net. You heard it right here on Kings of the Podcast first. Great prediction. Hope it comes true. All right. Well, for the LA Kings, I hope it comes true. Also for Andre Kopitar and Adrian Kempe, I hope it comes true because uh, it'd be nice to get their line mate uh, involved sure. in finding the back of the net. We'll get into game four and all that stuff a little bit later. Right off the hop, though, Dennis, I have to mention this because we will forget as the show progresses. Had a few people reaching out wanting to know, hey, do you have any more of those stickers? We did run out of the first edition of Great. the KOTP and the Mayor's Manor stickers, uh, but we had a second batch that came in. I'll have some tonight. We'll get those distributed to everybody. Exactly. So if you want a sticker, come by, see us at the elevator. Um, by the way, Dennis, who is the? what is the name of that listener that comes by and uh, drops off the uh, uh, the Wetzel's pretzels to us? I, I always forget his name, but he, he brought by two Wetzel's pretzels last game, and I really appreciated that. Yeah, I, I forget the cat's name too. So, But, you know, the reason I gave you both is because you the last time he came by, you weren't there, so I had to take both. And then one of them was cinnamon, which is delicious. And I said, well, this time, since I had two the last time, <laughs> I'm all about sharing. Yeah. I'm all about sharing. That. It's like, give it to yes. John. The man deserves yes. that. So, I, so I, I'm not sure, but we'll get his name tonight because I'm sure after he hears this, he'll come by and say hi. And, and again, so many people, John, come by and say hello. It's like crazy now. And it's, it's just a testament to how wonderful the Kings fans are and the support of this podcast. So absolutely come by, say hi. Don't be afraid. We won't bite your uh, head off unless you're a donkey. And, uh, but come by and say hi. I, I would rather talk to the donkeys. So bring the donkeys by too, so That's, that maybe well, you know you can reeducate them a little bit. It never happened. <laughs> no, there was that much. one. There was that one guy. Maybe. Remember earlier yeah. in the season that came by and asked me, "Hey, why did you block me?" Yes. <laughs> and then we that had a great a conversation, and I unblocked him. So there was progress yeah. that was made. And the rest are anonymous cowards, which is okay. Great. That's so fine. Uh, we have a lot to cover today, Dennis. Obviously, three games into the series uh, yeah. tonight, game four. But let's also talk uh, some other things related to the hockey world. The Ontario Reign, unfortunately, were eliminated two straight mm-hmm. games. We've talked a lot about that in recent shows. That it's a it's a best of three in the first round, and it's kind of a a play in round. 
people are talking about, oh, I don't like the way the AHL schedule this and it's not fair and everything else. Guys, it's not really a, what I would call a real playoff round because they still have four more rounds to go of the <laughs> AHL playoffs. So the first round, which is now the fifth round, is kind of like a, a play in. But anyway, they lost both games in Colorado. Uh, that's the third straight season. That's a hat trick you don't want to be part of, Dennis. Three yeah. straight seasons in a row, eliminated by the Colorado Eagles. Now, of course, the questions start to form around a number of uh, things. First of all, the coach. So from what I understand, Coach Marco Sturm, this is the final year of his contract. There's no guarantee that he will be back with the Ontario Reign next year. However, indicate early indications, I would say, and things could certainly change, but early indications are that he most likely will be back. Now, if for some reason he wasn't to be back, I'll just throw two other names out there. One would sure. be Chris Height. He's been an assistant coach with the Ontario Reign for quite some time, going all the way back to the time when Mike Stuthers was there. And then, of course, he served as the interim head coach or co-head coach, perhaps, when Craig Johnson was there in the second half of last year. Heider certainly has put his time in. He deserves an opportunity. So he would be one person as a potential candidate. And then I'm going to throw a wild card out there for you, DB, um, not to stoke the fires of speculation, but there is a name closely tied to the organization who also has some success coaching Alex Turcott, And that would be Tony Granato, who is no longer the coach at the university of Wisconsin. So if things don't work out, and of course you never know, maybe another organization wants to hire Marco. Maybe he's had enough of North America. Maybe he wants to go back to Germany. Who knows? You never know what happens in the hockey world and a lot's going to happen between now and call it July 1st uh, on the coaching carousel. So Marco might be back, but if not, there's a couple names to consider um, on the player front, Dennis, yeah, there's some things to talk about because the black aces are coming. And so we've yeah. had a lot of questions on Twitter, people asking about, well, what are the black aces and what does that mean? Really, if you think back to the um, pandemic time period where there was the taxi squad, that's essentially what the black aces are. So if you're not familiar with it, players like Martin Jones have served as a black ace, Tyler Toffoli. There have been a number of guys when their season ends at the AHL or even the junior level, they have an opportunity to come in. So you're going to see perhaps uh, this week, you're going to see in the next day or two, six to eight players is what I'm hearing will be uh, pulled together for a, a, a taxi squad. The Black Aces, they'll practice, they'll travel with the team, they'll be available, but these guys are not expected to play. So right. just because you're a Black Ace, it doesn't really mean that you're going to be inserted into the games. But Dennis, that won't stop Twitter because I'm sure that if Alex Turcott is added to the Black Ace group, <laughs> as I expect him to be, we're going to get a million questions about when is Turcott going to play? Okay. He's not. So uh, Turcott, Jordan Spence, um, uh, Bjornfoot. These are all some of the names that you could expect. Now, Sammy Fagamo was hurt in game one of the series. He's expected to be out about four to five weeks. So I don't expect Fagamo to uh, at least skate with the black aces. You never know. Sometimes the players around, he's working out. He still gets the experience, but doesn't get the on ice. Um, and then the other name, of course, to keep an eye on would be Eric Portillo. He uh, finally uh, signed his entry-level contract. I say finally because we've been talking about that for quite some time. So for those that aren't familiar, Portillo is a goaltender originally drafted by the Buffalo Sabres. The Kings traded for him at the trade deadline, and uh, he is expected to be the number one goaltender in Ontario next year. Portillo signed a two-year contract, but DB, really, it's only a one-year contract right. because the contract was activated immediately, sure. uh, meaning he burned the first year off the contract, similar to Alex Lafiere. So uh, that's what's going on with that. I guess if you want to mention one other thing, Dennis, there is some activity that you're going to need to keep an eye on over the summer because several of the players with the Ontario Reign, they're now out of waivers. So in other words, their entry-level contract is ending 
guys right. like Tyler Madden. Their entry-level contract is ending, which means that even though they will be re-signed over the summer, they would have to either make the NHL roster out of training camp mm-hmm. or pass through waivers to right. go back down to Ontario. And perhaps the most interesting of those names is Toby Bjornfoot. So let me just be very clear about that. Bjornfoot is either on the Kings roster next year or he has to pass through waivers to go back down to the Ontario Reign. I, I should say, or he gets traded. I mean, I guess that's another option. He's sure. on an NHL roster. It doesn't have to be LA. Um, right. But any thoughts on Toby Bjornfoot? Uh, hmm. It depends on what happens with Gavrikov. Like if they re-sign Gavrikov, then then I, I absolutely think he'll be exposed to waivers. Plus, you know, Edler isn't going to play next year. I think I assume this is it for him. So it depends. Is he the third pair lefty, or are they going to go into the market? Do they have to go get two because they don't sign Gavrikov? So it's going to be an interesting summer. Uh, he looks to me like a 17 in this league. So we'll we'll see if if there's any value. I think if he actually got waived, he might actually clear and go back down to Ontario and try to keep making the NHL. Yeah, I don't see him ever going on waivers. I think that uh, I would agree with you that obviously a lot of it has to do with the signing of Gavrikov, which you would have to hope that L.A. does get a deal done with him. Hell, I tried to get a contract signed with him when we had him on the program recently, but uh, I think Toby is either on the NHL roster or would have to end up being moved. You just don't waste a first-round asset like that. Um, Some of the other players besides uh, uh, Bjornfoot to keep an eye on would be uh, Sammy Fagamo, Tyler Madden, Akil Thomas, and Aiden Dudas. Those are all guys coming off of their um, entry-level contracts. Unfortunately, with Akil's injury history over the last couple of years, uh, I, I do think that he would probably pass through waivers. Sure. And uh, Tyler Madden, I think, is probably the most interesting um, of that group. Sammy Fagamo, they're going to have to find a spot for him on the NHL roster as well. I think same thing as Fagamo. I don't think you're um, going to expose him to waivers. I think you're going to find a way to get him on the roster or, like I said, potentially include him in some uh, trade if if that was the case. I don't think the organization wants to trade uh, Bjornfoot or Fagamo, so just, just throwing that out there. Mm-hmm. Now, two other players before we move on, junior-level players. People have asked about Brant Clark and Francisco Pinelli. Right. Yes, they can join the Black Aces. Uh, Pinelli's team, the Kitchener Rangers, they were just eliminated by London. Um, interesting footnote there. Kitchener was a number eight seed coming into the playoffs. They became the first eight seed in OHL history to sweep the first round seed. So in the first round, they were phenomenal. Eight seeds swept the first seed. They did lose in the second round to Drew Doughty's London Knights. Um, please don't tweet me, by the way. I know he played in Guelph. It's basically because he's from <laughs> London. But uh, so, so Pinelli is available and Clark could potentially be available in the next 24 to 48 hours because Barry, unfortunately, uh, is losing right now uh, to the battalion. So we'll have to see uh, where that goes. They're on the brink of elimination with the next game coming up on Monday. So they'll either tie that series at 3-3 and force a game seven or they'll be eliminated. If Clark comes to the aces, though, Dennis, let's be very clear. You can clip this and replay it. Brant Clark will not play for the LA Kings until next season at the earliest. In other words, no, mm-hmm. Brant Clark is not going to play in the playoffs this year. Any comment on that, Dennis? Isn't that because he's at nine games and they would burn his entry level the one year of his entry level deal? I, I think even before that, if you were sort of putting a, a list together of the reasons, sure. 
He hasn't been here in four or five months and you have Jordan Spence right there knocking Mm -hmm. at the door. So from a depth chart perspective, from a Todd McClellan comfortability perspective, (laughs) he's way more comfortable putting Jordan Spence in the lineup right now than he is going to be putting Brant Clark. Even as talented as Clark is, you don't take a player that you haven't seen in four or five months and put him into the lineup over Jordan Spence, who has been here and who Mm -hmm. has played games and who has been playing in this system because he's been playing in Ontario. It just doesn't depth chart chart wise make any sense so there's no i in team but there is one in indeed and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours when you're hiring you need indeed instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all one of the things i love about indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because indeed does the hard work for you They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. There's my reasoning and explanation. Let's get to the NHL. How about that, Dennis? Let's do it, Jay. All right. So there are eight series going on. It seems like every series is 2-1 right now. All right, Dennis, how about this? For the 13th time since 1987... So 1987 is when the uh, NHL went to a opening round being a best of seven. It used to be a best of five, but in 87, they went to best of seven. So since 87, 30 some odd Mm -hmm. years, uh, you're talking about only the 13th time that there has not been a sweep. And since the NHL did the realignment, it's only happened on two other occasions, I believe. So again, the point here really is the league is very competitive right now. There's a lot of parity. There's a lot of balance. You're not going to see a team sweep or that's going to get swept in the first round. Yeah, even the mighty Bruins with their 65 wins, like they couldn't sweep the Florida Panthers. Even though you're starting to see that they're clearly the superior team to the Panthers when they went down there and really took care of business without Bergeron and without Krejci. And then the West, look, <laughs> there's eight teams. Mate, now Winnipeg losing last night in overtime and losing Josh Morrissey for the series, like you would X them out. But the other seven teams, like these are all going to be long series, John. It's great to see such. Uh, you know, the fact that there's not overmatches in this league when you once you get to the playoffs, even though when you have one and eights and there's a big disparity between the regular season points, uh, guess what? It changes once you get to, again, once you get to game 83. You all go one step further since you focused on that series specifically. If only 13 times there has not been a sweep, only six times, six times since 1987 have, have has there been a situation where not at least one series went to 3-0. So no mm-hmm. series is going 3-0 this time. Yeah. This will mark only the sixth time that that has happened. So, it, yeah, it, it's hard enough to sweep, but right. that speak, it speaks to even – it's even more rare to, to not have a series go 3-0, and we're not going to have one series this year that's going to get to 3-0. Yeah, and, and the surprising one for me, I thought the Devils were done. You know, the Rangers came into Newark with, you know, filled half the building with their fans, won convincingly, and then they put Akira Schmidt in last night. I'm like, oh, okay. This is hopefully you're not waving a white flag. I was really they played great defensively. He played well, but it was uh, surprising to see. But again, yeah, it's about how competitive this league is. It's great to see that you're playing games where you say, okay, this is kind of teams going through the motion. 
nobody's going through the motion at this point in time. So the Devils have a legit shot to take that back to Newark uh, 2-2 tomorrow night. Well, they they did need overtime, Dennis, which seems to be the theme this year. If you're going to an (laughs) NHL game, make sure that you don't have dinner plans or anything else going on immediately after because there is a high likelihood that your game is going to overtime. (laughs) It seemed like every game went to overtime on Saturday. And, uh, yeah, the Devils somehow managed to win that game in overtime. Uh, I, I think I'll have to double check the score. Maybe, you know, offhand, I, maybe the Colorado game was the only game that didn't go to overtime yesterday. Is that, is that true? Yeah, that's correct. Yep. Yeah. Um, staying out East Toronto, Tampa Bay. Wow. What a series. Uh, <laughs> thoughts on where that series is as we sit here. All I know is that Steven Stamkos and Austin Matthews fought last night. So to me, it's crazy. And then I think there was a video of Kyle Dubas, the GM, chirping Leaf, like disenchanted Leaf fans in the stands in Tampa last night. It was, uh, eh, that was some, some game. It's been some series. And again, that one looks like it's going seven as well. But it was just a, a crazy, crazy game. Um, and then Morgan Riley. And then look, John, Riley hits uh, point into the boards. It's a five minute penalty. They reviewed it. There's no penalty. And Point certain and point comes back. It's just that was just everything you wanted in a playoff hockey game last night, John. You got it in Tampa. Hey, Kucherov had a fighting penalty as well. So, I mean, it, all the cool kids had Good fighting penalties. He jumped right in. He jumped right in on Raleigh. When his man went down, he jumped right in. So, Kuch is, uh, he's one of a kind after that, uh, that uh, beer celebration after the cup final one couple of seasons ago. But yeah, that's what you want from your guys to support your guys. So, that's, that's what you saw in Tampa last night. One more series out in the East, Dennis, and it's been a little bit of a snore, I think, unless you're in those two markets. Uh, Carolina and the Islanders mm-hmm. absolutely flying below the, at least flying below the national radar. Yeah. Uh, Carolina does hold a 2-1 series lead there, though. John, if you had to rank 16 teams, and the topic was which team would score the four fastest goals in Stanley Cup history, you probably would have the Islanders 16. Yet they were the team that scored four goals in two minutes and 27 seconds. And it's the fastest four goals in Stanley Cup playoff history. Uh, look, they got a puncher's chance. And I keep going back to Carolina. They played well. Got away with one thing in game two. Jacob Slavin, that, I think that, stopped, that shot should have been stopped. But again, are they going to get enough offense? They're great defensively. Uh, Ranta's played well in net. But I, the, again, the Islanders had a jit shot. They got off the mat. They played really, really well. And I think the question with Carolina, you know, I picked them to win the cup in October. I'm not feeling so good about that pick. Are they going to get enough goals from this team? I'm not really sure they can. Well, and there's the issue, right? It all comes back to goaltending. And when you have strong goaltending and the Islanders have had a goaltender that can carry them, uh, you know, through stretches of games, can he carry them through a seven game series? And to your point, can Carolina generate enough offense when those two things are the opposing storylines that they've, it's it's a head-to-head yeah. matchup. It's it's right. not like the Carolina issue is not related to the Islanders issue. Right. No, these two issues are closely connected. They're connected at the hip. It's can they score enough offense? Well, guess what? They're going up against the goaltender that is the key storyline for the Islanders. I mean, I guess that was the storyline coming in, but when you start producing historic offense like the Islanders do, maybe the, the storyline is the, is the Islanders' offense and it's not the Islanders' goaltender. But mm. we'll have to see if we can stay awake through that series and who's going to move on. Uh, because certainly when well, you're in, you're playing a day game today, so we'll, well, we'll but when you're in a conference with the devils against the Rangers and Toronto against Tampa, yeah, I think you do end up uh, falling off the marquee. I don't even think yeah. you're the sub story. <laughs> you kind of just fall off the marquee. That's my right. opinion. Uh, exactly. Let's get out to the Western conference. Probably the surprise series, at least in my opinion, would be Dallas and Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Minnesota has been a much tougher out than the yeah. Dallas Stars, and I think most people would have predicted. Yeah, well, we're up to one. The one, the one thing I keep going back to is why did Mark Andre Fleury play in Game Two? 
Like, I, I, like load management. Like the guy, I, I get it. Gustin's had 51 saves in game one. He had a lot of work, but that was really surprising. But yeah, this is a team, and you know, Zuccarello scored two in the in their game three victory. It they're a tough team. They're very tough at home, and yeah, it's. I thought that would be close, but I I would think that Dallas would have won that series probably in five or six, and um, it looks like it might be a different story. And kudos to them. Look, Kaprizov came back. Not sure he's 100, percent but other guys like Boldy and Zuccarello have stood up, and uh, we'll see what happens. But yeah, this is starting to smell like a seven game series, John. And I was waiting for you to mention Brock Faber as well. He's been getting oh, a yes. lot of praise in that series, in all seriousness, for mm-hmm. coming in and having what I would call Mikey Anderson level poise, just somebody who yep. steps right into the NHL and people after just a few games look around and go, is this guy a 10 year veteran mm-hmm. or is he a 10 game rookie? Rock Faber has had a lot of, a lot of poise and uh, confidence and solid play in that series. Yeah. Especially defensively. So I think I think the parallel with Mikey is Mikey doesn't generate a lot of offense and neither does Brock, but to come in right now, and these are your first games in the playoffs. It's, it's, it's impressive, but it's not. It's along the lines, John, of when you talked about Brock as a Kings prospect. What you expected from him once he got to the big, uh, uh, the NHL level. All right, so uh, just a couple of other series here in the West, and then we'll of course get to the Kings and Oilers. Don't worry, people, calm down. Uh, Colorado and Seattle. A uh, little, little bit of reference to that earlier there. What a wonky series! It just, it just feels weird when you watch that series. It, it almost, I don't know how to describe it, Dennis, but it, it doesn't feel to me. Like a playoff series. It, it, yeah, it, exactly. <laughs> you knew exactly where I was going. It doesn't feel like a playoff series. Not, and I don't mean because of the intensity or whatever. And maybe it's just because the, the Kraken are new. I don't know. But I, it just doesn't feel like a playoff series. That's the easiest way to describe it to me. It, it, you're right about it being a weird series because uh, the first four periods of the series, Colorado took off. Didn't play well. They were horrible. And they found a way to win game two. And then last night you saw... Nathan McKinnon and Kale McCarr and all their stars really show up, especially in the third period when the game was close. And now they have a 2-1 lead. And again, it goes back to goaltending. You know, Grubauer was great early. He wasn't great late. Uh, it's going to be yeah, – Colorado should win that series. But you know what, John? This is the thing about Seattle. They're so damn pesky. They could win a game 3-2. Like, they could. They were in that game. And, you know, star power. It, it, maybe it, it's at the point where you can get away with it in a regular season. But in the playoffs, your stars have to be your stars, and that's what you saw in Colorado, um, last, their victory last night in Seattle. All right, and then over in the Winnipeg-Vegas series, they love some extra hockey in that series. Oh, yeah. Michael Amadio. God, you talk <laughs> about names from the past. Uh, I, I wasn't even aware he was still in the NHL, Dennis. Michael Amadio <laughs> scores in double overtime um, to give the – Vegas Golden Knight. And by the way, Martinez almost scored in that game. Alec Martinez scoring in double overtime. Boy, that has a familiar ring to it. Uh, But the Vegas Golden Knights, we're going to have to send a search party out, though. Jonathan Quick has not been uh, seen in this series after being such a big storyline for the Vegas Golden Knights. Their social media team just absolutely loved Quickie after they uh, acquired him. But he has not been, he's not factored into this series yet. Winnipeg. I still like Winnipeg's chances in this series, though, Dennis. Um, they, They... they seem to be right there with the Vegas Golden Knights. Well, to me, the surprise wasn't with Quick is that Aiden Hill suited up for game two or three. I, that was like, okay, that's interesting. And I'm not sure why that's happening because John was supposed to be the insurance policy. So maybe Bruce doesn't have faith in him. Um, with respect to the series, look, that was a great rally yesterday. They were down 4-1 in the third and scored three to, to get it even and level. The one concern I have now is that Josh Morrissey's out for the series. Yeah, uh, Rick Bonus announced them that, and I think that's going to be the difference maker. And you know, based it's it's like the um, the, the phrase you use for UFC punches and bunches, right? That's what uh, Vegas does. They score goals in bunches, and 
they don't have like Jack's played well, but they don't have that fifty goal score. They don't have a Ranton. They don't have the the, the the true superstar. They they truly do it by committee, John. And the proof of that is Michael Amadio scoring the game winner. Like you wouldn't have that on your bingo card if you were picking. You know how people do the overtime challenge. Yes. Who's picking Michael Amadio? Like you're I'm not have to go back and check your Twitter, Dennis. Did you have Michael Amadio in the overtime challenge I did, yesterday? I did not. I would have certainly <laughs> crowed about it already. And oh, people yeah. know. I have you no would have picked Eichel, wouldn't you? You would have gone oh, with Jack. Yeah, of course, of yeah, course Jack. he would have. I know or, you would have. Or Stoner. I, or most, Stone. Yep. Those are your two Stone's guys. Fantastic. <laughs> back surgery scores two goals in game two. What a what a what a what a warrior that guy is. But uh yeah, I think that's it. So look, it, it's great when it picks in. You'll love to see the white out up there. It was really it's a very loud building, but I just don't think there's with Marcy out, it's gonna be a really tough ask they might rally and win game four but it's gonna be a tough ask to beat vegas in this round yeah i thought it was great in the post game yesterday uh one of the questions was uh for, for vegas oh so this was your you know you've had the experience now of playing in the whiteout it was just it was a uh, interesting question of all yeah. the storylines to talk about um i was just wondering what was going to the player's mind at that particular moment like is that something that he processed like do they talk about do they get together and talk about the whiteout i don't really know because if they do i want to know if they talked about the blackout back in the days when la <laughs> used to black out the staples center uh before we talk about game four let's talk about the king's win in game three uh yeah. blake lazat blake lazat struggled mightily in game one and game two especially especially in the face-off circle. I want to say he was something like two for 20, somewhere in that ballpark, um, really had some challenges. He was not yeah. available for game three, which meant that Gabe Velarde moved back over to center, which was interesting uh, in and of itself. They had, you know, a few other options they could have gone with. Uh, Trevor mm-hmm. Moore could play center. Uh, yeah. You have Jared Anderson Dolan who could play center. There yep. were a number of different ways to possibly configure that. And, and even if you moved up, uh, Kapari and had somebody else at fourth line center. I'm only sure. saying that as, as a precursor to something I want to talk about later, sure. but storylines in game three, you had Velarde back at center. You had Lazat, uh, who was out day to day, Edler mm-hmm. and Dursey. I thought perhaps if there was ever a time for Todd to make a move on that third pairing, it would have been going into game three, maybe mm-hmm. to give Sean Walker a look, but he stuck with it. And then also want to talk about Corpusalo uh, as well. Where do you want to start storylines in game three, Dennis? Well, we'll talk about Gabe at center. And Gabe admitted, he goes, you know, and Todd said, I, I'm asking Gabe to do a lot here. He was out for weeks, hadn't played. And then now you throw him back in the center of game three. He hasn't played there, what, for, for over a year. Yeah, he, he didn't do well in the faceoff circle, did as best as can. But I guess at that point, that's that's your best option. But I agree with you, Lazat. Hadn't had the first couple of games that were good, but they miss him. They miss him in the faceoff circle because they both Deneau and Gabe did not do well in game three. They wanted finding a way to win um, with respect to the rest of the game. It's funny because he, Gabe was asked if he touched the puck on the, the controversial review at the end. He goes, I don't know if I touched the puck. The game's over. <laughs> and so, yeah. of course, I tweeted that. Cool All the uh, Oilers fans think this big conspiracy that you know, the league doesn't want Connor McDavid to do well or don't want a Canadian team to do well. But uh, just a, a thrilling game. Um, you cannot like Connor McDavid. Look, he hasn't done a lot five on five, but John, those two goals, like, you could have put three goalies in the net and they wouldn't have stopped those two shots. He was just an amazing throwing player. But again, five on five and just the resiliency of the Kings. Like they've led, I think, in the series for seven minutes and they're up yeah. two one. And I think the big, the big one was, and look, I get that the referee's call, but when you call Leon for unsportsmanlike conduct for t- tapping uh, Drew's pads and saying something. Eh. But what did they do, John? Like 12 seconds after the penalty goal, they tie the game. That was huge for them. So this team is just resilient, and they're not going to go away. So for people think that they're, it's an overmatch and the Oilers are way more talented, it just doesn't, it doesn't spill out that way. It's, that's not the case. It's not much to separate these teams because 
you know, Todd has talked about discipline all season, about taking bad penalties. Who's taking bad penalties in the series? The Oilers are, right? And they can't, and, and look, they a power play late in the game in game two, they, and, and, and they lose uh, game one, and they lose that game. A power play in overtime, they can't defend it. They didn't defend those two plays. So you can cry about the calls or whatever, but you ha- here's another option, John. What's the other option? You kill the penalty. And the, the, power pl- the penalty kill has not been good for Edmonton, and that's why they're down 2-1 after uh, game three. Yeah, that team, though, Dennis, they complain about everything. It starts behind the bench. The coach complains about everything. The players complain about everything. The fans complain about everything. I want to go back to something that you said a moment ago, though. I am curious uh, because I don't entertain these donkeys, as you call them. Um, so so what's the theory? I'll, I'll, I'll bite on this. What's the theory? Why would the NHL not want Connor McDavid to be successful? What, what's I, I in don't it for, know. for the NHL? What would the, uh, the, the motivation be? Maybe because Edmonton's a small Canadian market. I don't know, uh, but I, I don't get it. Like, you don't think that the NHL would and the networks would cream over the fact that Connor McDavid played the Rangers and he was playing Stanley Cup playoffs in, the Stan- in Madison Square Garden? Of course they would love that. They would um, absolutely like go crazy over that. And then the, the Canadian thing, I don't get that either. There's three Canadian teams. If you didn't want a Canadian team to, to win the Stanley cup, don't put them in the playoffs, F- find a way to get them out of the playoffs. There's three teams in there, right? So it's just, it's Toronto, it's Edmonton, it's Winnipeg. So I don't get that. I think it's just, uh, I just, I, I don't know. I think maybe it's maybe a little inferiority complex about uh, Canada versus us or something like that, but it just, it makes no sense. John, like, no, I, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't understand it. It doesn't really make any sense to me. It's a star driven league and you would want one of your biggest stars who's on the cover of the upper deck trading card boxes. Right. He's featured in all sorts of things. And oh, by the way, one of your biggest league partners in Rogers, uh, you know, is heavily tied in there as well. So yeah. and you have a lot of other Canadian sponsors who are big time uh, promoters and sponsors, uh, you know, and league mm-hmm. partners um, connected to Canadian cities. So, no, mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't buy into that theory. But this team complains about everything. And uh, I, I just I, I, I'm, I'm at a loss for words sometimes of the things that we see or hear around this series. You know, people also talk about, oh, L.A., you know, they've been outplayed in this series. I think there have been moments where they were outplayed. Like if you go back to game one, they were outplayed in the first period because L.A. came out flat in game one in the first mm-hmm. period. Period two was even, Dennis. Mm-hmm. Period two was even. And even if you want to say that Edmonton outplayed them, well, this, it was a 0-0 score in that period. Period mm-hmm. three, L.A. outplayed Edmonton in period three of game one. They outscored them like three to one, and they outplayed them, and then yep. ended up winning the game in overtime. So, you know, I don't know how you want to say that, that uh, you know, Edmonton completely outplayed them. Uh, they were, sure, they, they stole the game. They were able to battle back, et cetera. But when you go into game two, and I tweeted this out. I thought LA should have been pissed off after game one, uh, excuse me, after game two, because mm-hmm. LA had a chance to win game two. LA could be up in this series right now, three Oh, now you go, Oh, well it evened out because they won game one. I'm not talking. I'm not talking about what happened in game one. It's irrelevant in game two. Yeah. Right. I'm talking about in game two as a standalone silo. It's seven, one game series, John. seven, one game series, right. An individual right. situation in right. game two, LA could have won game two. Mm-hmm. And they didn't, and it was a one goal game. So, yeah, th- this has been a razor thin margin between these two teams. Um, 
the, the good news in game three, as I see it, Dennis, was that L.A. was able to score. Now, they did score late in the first period, but L.A. Mm-hmm. was able to score in that first period. And I think that that made a huge difference because they went into the first intermission in a different situation than they were in yeah. uh, in game one or game two. And then, like you said, to be able to get that power play after Connor had gone Connor and scored two quick mm-hmm. power play goals uh, after that second one, I think it was only a minute or so later. It was very quick when they tied that game. I think it was like 14 seconds. Basically they, yeah. it was the, it was the set play and they've talked about it. It's funny. We talked to Victor and about that yesterday. It's a set play. Like, you know, that, that long pass off the backboards, you know, Kempe with his speed, grab the puck and beat at Skinner. But that's a set play. And I asked Todd if they, you know, is that something that you guys worked on or whatever? And of course he wouldn't tell me, if, you know, when or, or how they worked on it, but that's oh, a he didn't, play. he didn't just open up and just give you the no, playbook not, and let you know no, exactly how a, that he's works. He's a different cat in the playoffs, man. I'm not getting <laughs> anything from it. I just, I guess I get to chuckle when I get these answers that, that don't really say anything, but I, I think in the first two games, John, and I tweeted in, after first period of game one, I said, you just saw a team apt to do absolutely nothing in a, in a 20 minute period of a playoff game. It did yeah. absolutely nothing. And then you got worried because if you're a Kings fan, because a minute into the game three, they take a penalty. I'm like, okay. And, you know, Phil didn't mean to trip the guy. It was an accidental trip. Uh, they kill off that penalty and they, they find a way. But here's the thing, Johnny. You could talk about two keys for me from an Edmonton standpoint and why they're down with two. Both Connor and Leon have not gone off in games. Like, yeah, Leon was great in Edmonton, right? He, he didn't do much in, in L.A. Connor didn't do anything, in, really anything in Edmonton and was fantastic in L.A. And On here's the power the other, play. On the power, yeah, on a power play, yeah, just from a score sheet standpoint. But here's the thing: Hyman, Nugent Hopkins, Kane, nothing, nothing, literally nothing. I haven't gotten on the board. I haven't been in, in impact players, except for I guess Kane throwing Drew into the boards in Game Three. Other than that, they haven't done anything. Now that's a good thing and a bad thing. You say, okay, is, is this team at some point going to explode? And the one difference between this series and the last series, and again, 14 games they've played since since the uh, the playoffs of last season. They've each won seven. There's not much to separate these teams. But remember games two and games two last year. It was 14 to two in favor of Edmonton. This is a very, very different series with respect to, hey, first of all, Kings are leading in the series 2-1 as opposed to being down 2-1. But you don't, they're not overmatched. I don't think it, if Edmonton wins the game, I don't think it's going to be 7-1 um, because Corpus Al has been great. Corpus Al kept them in game, you know, kept them in game in three in, in the third period. He was fantastic. They did dominate puck position in the last two periods, but, you know, that's why you you traded for Cooper Sal. He, he's been, the, he's done the job and now they, they have a chance to, to go up three, one tonight um, in downtown LA. I will counter what you just said and say, we also have not seen the LA Kings play a complete game. Oh, yeah. I have not seen oh, a 60 minute effort out of LA. Yeah. So while you can certainly say with truth that Edmonton has not given you their full, you have also not seen that from LA. No. There've been patches. There've been periods. There've been stretches where LA has played their game and while they have shut them down defensively to the point that you just mm-hmm. made, they have not played that 60-minute L.A. Kings no. game just yet no, where you've seen close. more of their offense. Let's not forget, yeah. this L.A. Kings team is a different team than we've seen over the last decade plus. They are an offensive-minded team. Now, mind you, they are without Kevin Fiala, which we can get to in just a moment, and that yeah. makes a difference in terms of contributing to not only three but possibly four lines of being able to roll. But before we transition into Game 4, I just want to ask you this question. I was thinking about it earlier today, and I wasn't able to come up with a definitive answer. I can almost make an argument for a number of different guys. It reminds me about voting uh, at the end of the year, which we had mm-hmm. a lot of fun with. If you were to pick the LA Kings team MVP through three games, obviously it's not a real trophy, Dennis. Nobody mm-hmm. gives out an MVP award after three games. but would you go with Deneau, Ardvitson, Kopitar, Velarde, 
Kempe or Corpusalo. Those are the leading candidates, in my opinion. Of course, you can pick your own player if you want. But Dano, Arvidsson, Kopitar, Velarde, Kempe, and Corpusalo, who has been your MVP through three games? I think based off his four-point game, Kopitar. He's still consistent. He's still playing 20 minutes in the middle. Um, they haven't, and you mentioned neither Connor or Leon, and it's usually his matchup with him, haven't gone crazy at five-on-five five, five play. I think he's still he's still the guy for me. You, you know, it's funny. I, I don't like it when you and I agree. It's way more fun when we disagree. <laughs> I narrowed it down to three players. I narrowed that list down to Ardvitsen, Kopitar, and Corpusalo. And I wanted to eliminate Corpusalo from the discussion because mm-hmm. – he, there hasn't been that highlight real save and it hasn't, yeah. but then I sit there and I go, but you know what though? He just is a steady Eddie to borrow the, the, the map. Very common in that. He just, yeah. he just goes about his business. He just makes the saves that he needs to make. He's kept them in these games. It has been razor thin, but he's mm-hmm. kept them in the game waiting for the offense to wake up and give them an opportunity to win. So from that standpoint, I don't think that you can remove him from the conversation. Mm-hmm. And then Kopitar, he, he's like the the forward version of Corpusalo in that he just is a steady Eddie. He just yeah. plays that game. His defensive uh, contributions to this series have really largely gone unnoticed, I think, uh, uh, to the masses because they mm-hmm. want to look at the goal scoring. But Kopitar has been phenomenal keeping uh, the Oilers at bay, playing on the penalty kill, playing even strength. Kopitar has really had a phenomenal year. And yeah. Dennis... He's come on strong in the second half of the season. So over the last couple of months, a couple of months, I think Kopi is playing at an elite level um, and and, and even a Mm -hmm. higher level than we normally see. He sort of just gets lost in the conversation because he's so consistent through the years. And he's been there so long. Exactly. But he's He's elevated, Dennis. That's the point I want to make. He's He's elevated. This is not the the good Kopitar of the last, Mm -hmm. say, three years. This is a better version of yeah. number 11. And yeah. then the last thing I'll just say on 33 is Ardvidsson. Talk about elevating his game. This mm-hmm. has been a different level for a different player. And you can see what a difference maker he's been yep. and how the loss of him and not having him in the series last year, the shot blocking, the creative offense, uh, offense that he's been able to add, the overall hustle that he's been able to add. It's just like somebody woke RV up and said, hey, Victor, it's playoff time. And he flipped a switch because this has been a player uh, it's a tired phrase. I've said it five times now, but he's at a different level. He's mm-hmm. elevated Dennis from his play throughout the regular season. And he's been a 25 goal scorer, but he's a playmaker like the passes that he has and the mentality. And he just goes out there and plays. And yeah, he wasn't in the series last year. Neither was drew Gavrikov wasn't here. So this, when people, and I go on Edmonton radio, I go like, you think it's the same team? It's not, the, it's not close to being the same team. Like, this is, this is a better verse from the Kings. And that's why some people have picked him. The other guy I want to mention is Kempe because of the timeliness of his goals. Right. Yeah. I mean, he gets they're down two nothing in game one. He finds a way to score two. And then he scores that goal that we just mentioned to get to get them back into a tie in game three, which was really pivotal because you say, uh oh, Connor got two. Uh oh, here it comes. And then like within less than a minute, he scores. So he's been really timely with his goal. And it's funny because I talked to Kopitar about Kempe and he said, you know what? The guy doesn't get enough uh, credit for his defensive play away from the puck. He's been really, really obviously he's improved from a goal scoring standpoint. He's the most dangerous goal scorer at this point, but he says people don't need to focus more on his defensive play because he's been much, much better defensively, which has helped Kopitar, I assume, uh, defensively as well. Yeah. You know, having 
Kempe, and then Velarde to a lesser extent. Having those two snipers available, that's what really, I think, makes this team different and more lethal than where they have been over the last five, six, seven years or whatever. They've been a team that sort of plotted along and they would get their goals by committee. You're not getting your goals by committee necessarily when you have Kempe as a lethal Mm -hmm. sniper and you have Velarde, but the timeliness of those Kempe goals has been pretty phenomenal. Dennis, I want to give you uh, an Edmonton statistic just before we talk about Kevin Fiala. I know that, you know, a lot of people want to talk about Fiala and it's really just debate and and, and rhetoric at this point because there's no guarantee of when he's going back into the lineup and at this time of the year nobody's going to come clean and tell us exactly so if you were Mm -hmm. waiting for the major spoiler alert on this episode (laughs) I'm sorry to report that but I just want to give you one statistic Leon uh, and, and Evan Bouchard they both have recorded at least one point in the three games in the series so far so we'll have to see if they can continue that in game four and in terms of Bouchard he can he's um if he gets a point, it would be the first four-game point streak by an Oilers player in the playoffs, talking Oilers, since Charlie Huddy in 1988. So that was a specific uh, statistic I'm sharing there for longtime Kings fans who, of course, remember after the Gretzky trade, all of those Oilers that migrated to Los Angeles. One of them, of course, was Charlie Huddy. And for the old Jim Rome fans that are listening, uh, he was part of the Kings escort service. That was the defensive group that used to escort the offensive players (laughs) into the zone and allow them to score. So um, there you go. It's uh, Charlie Huddy. If Evan Bouchard uh, ends up on the score sheet tonight with another point, that'll be the first four-game point streak by Oilers defenseman in the playoffs yep. since 1988. Dennis, that leads us to number 22, Kevin Fiala. Uh, we know that there's a lower body injury. Thank you mm-hmm. to Andrew Cogliano in Colorado. I think everybody <laughs> at this point knows what the lower body injury is. If you yep. watch the play with Andrew Cogliano, my thought on this is, is as follows, Dennis. I remember Dustin Brown. Having, I don't remember the technical aspect of the knee injury. It was a torn MCL or something like that. He had mm-hmm. what, what would be normally considered a pretty significant knee injury mm-hmm. yeah. a number of years ago. And instead of surgery, I remember Brownie telling me, look, if I play on it, it's not going to get any worse. It's just right. not going to get any better, right? It's not going to get any yeah, worse, though. Gonna I'm going to have to have off-season surgery. I'm going to have to get mm-hmm. it cleaned up. He said, but right now the key is to let the swelling go down. And so I'm yeah. going to have to be sidelined for a couple of weeks. And mm-hmm. then I'm going to be able to come back and play. And that's essentially what ended up happening with Dustin Brown. He took a couple of weeks off that it didn't get any better, uh, but mm-hmm. it also didn't get any worse. And so after right. a couple of weeks, he was able to come back and Brown ended up playing just fine from that point forward um, for the balance of the season into the playoffs. And I'm just wondering sort of if that's the same situation going on here with Kevin Fiala, where there's really no point in him skating and participating in practices and things like that, because he's not recovering from an injury where he needs to get back. The only thing right. he needs to really do is just go, be inserted into the lineup. So it's funny that, um, Kevin Fiala was in a red jersey on Saturday mm-hmm. for not even really a practice because there were only, I think, six players that were out there. So yeah. I guess you could call it a light practice. And then Todd saying that he would potentially, if he feels up to it, he would participate in the warmups uh, mm-hmm. of, of game four, I guess, just to get the atmosphere and get the juices flowing again. But sure. he is not expected, short of a swerve, he is not expected to play in game four, Dennis. Is that your understanding of the reading the tea leaves as well? Yeah, you started hearing earlier in the week, John, or last week about like, okay, he, he's close. He, he's going to be back on the ice. I think game six. I think that's what I think you're talking about another week. Um, and remember, John, there's, there's three days off between five and six. So that I think that's the real reason. So, look, could he give the team a boost if he's out there on warm? Yeah, the crowd would go. Not sure, of course. I think they're shooting for game six. If there's a game six. You know, there's another way to, to, to save him is 
win the next two games and you won't have to play. But I think that that's what they're looking at. And again, I know it was unusual they get three days off between uh, games five and six in the first round of a playoff game uh, round, but it actually might help the Kings with respect to Kevin Fiala. So I, I think, yeah, manager expectations. Well, the Something NHL did that, Dennis, because they don't want Edmonton to have That's success. Right. So they yeah. figured out if it's going to help L.A. <laughs> schedule the series this way. They may throw in another day off. They <laughs> they might might be back another be day. the first they time in days. NHL history they they reconfigured the schedule yeah. after yeah. it already came it out. Four days off until Kevin Fiala is ready. They're going to they're going to they're going to postpone the series until Fiala is ready. OK, just, just to screw Edmonton. Exactly. So I know that you love it when I bring up these 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 random references. So here's the Please. other reference for Kevin Fiala that I was thinking about. I was thinking about the Stanley Cup final with Simone Gagne, who had been out injured and mm-hmm. Gagne, who was typically a top line player. Gagne yep. comes back into the lineup. He and he's been injured, but they're going to put him back into the lineup. He plays on the fourth line. And if I remember correctly, he ends up getting a little bit of power play time. They just right. wanted him in there to have it. And I think he even scored a goal. I'd have to go back and take a look. Maybe I'm romanticizing the mm-hmm. uh, the return, but I was sort of thinking about the same thing with Kevin Fiala because if and when he does get inserted into the lineup, like think about the lineup for game four. If Fiala's available and he goes in, mm-hmm. who goes out? Well, you go, okay, well, McEwen goes out of the lineup. Okay, right. fine. McEwen goes out. But where do you put Kevin Fiala? Does he go in on the third line? And mm-hmm. if he goes in on the third line, who are you moving off of that third line? Okay, probably Grunstrom. Oh, that makes sense. Okay, right. so it would be it would be Fiala uh, with with um, well, who would it be? It would be Fiala with VR. Uh, oh, Velarde and I follow. Right, correct. And then Grunstrom drops down. Okay, you can do that. But here was here's what I was thinking and where I'm going with this, Dennis. Would you possibly put Kevin Fiala back in on the fourth line to start the game? Because look, if you only plan on playing, I I wish people could Mm -hmm. see your face right now. You gave me that look like, where's he going with this? Here's where I'm going. If McEwen, if you think that you're only going to give him, say, four to five minutes of, of, uh, of game action, why not start Fiala on the fourth line, limit his role, basically only put him in there on the power play where he's going to have a little bit more space and a little bit more time, which could help a guy who maybe doesn't have his timing back. And of course, if he starts playing really well, you can flip him and you can put him up on that third line, but you don't have to put that additional pressure on him by putting him in on the third line. What I'm saying is I think Todd Mm -hmm. has a really interesting option right here. And it's a similar option to what happened with Simone Gagne a decade ago. Yeah. Uh, Here's the thing. If you put him on the third line, now Edmonton has to defend three lines. It's as simple as that. And 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 you have Villardi and Fiala on the third. I get your point, though. Like you have to see him on the ice. Like, is he going to play at pace? Like, how's that? He has an injury. He's playing with a knee, uh, a left knee issue. No, uh, Dennis, that, he has a lower body injury. No, okay. I, I saw the brace on his knee, so I know exactly. You so. thought you saw the brace on his oh, knee. Oh, is that what it is? Okay. <laughs> okay, great. Um, I, I get your point though. I, I, I think it would be the other way around. I think maybe you start on a third and if he's not, if he's not feeling it, then reduces minutes. I think off the bat, you want Edmonton to think about something. So now, okay, now we have to defend the third line with these two, uh, uh, excellent, uh, offensive players. Around. Yeah. So let me be clear. I'm not saying that's what he should do. I was just thinking about what he might do. Right. I'm always mm-hmm. trying to stay yeah. one step yeah, yeah. ahead of Todd, which is option. difficult to do, right. but there is an option there. And I mm-hmm. do like what you just said though. Maybe what you really do is maybe you put the starting lineup out and say that he's on the third line because it gives them something to think about. But if you sure. talk about from a gamesmanship standpoint, maybe you really don't end up using him on the third line. We see that, you know, quite a bit sometimes where a lineup goes out and you think that's how they're going to use somebody. And within, sort of two shifts, 
they've yeah, they've changed things. Maybe you see that with Kevin Fiala. So, all right, Dennis, game four, it's shaping up. Back to the beginning of the program. Quentin Byfield is looking to get on the score sheet tonight in honor of 155. Do you have any other bold Dennis Bernstein predictions as we wrap up episode 155 and head into game four? No, I'm just glad the game's starting at 6 o'clock and not 7 o'clock. Right, Why? What's the problem? problem? Well, here's the problem. 820 puck drops in Edmonton are not conducive to anyone. So. Oh, so you're an Oilers sympathizer. So you're worried no, about all of your fans no. on in Edmonton that, that yeah. you know get to hear you on Edmonton radio. I'm, not, I'm worried about myself. What are you talking about? So, <laughs> like, <laughs> you, need a, you need to clip that and play that at the beginning of every show. That, nothing could be more true. <laughs> here's the thing, John. Here's the thing. So for the fans that saw the press conferences after game two in Edmonton, where the crowds were incredibly loud and you couldn't hear yes. me asking questions or Jay... Yes. I, I I actually asked the league about that and they don't seem to particularly care about the noise. What they care about is it's in the hall of fame room where I actually tweeted a picture of um, uh, a case with Gretzky stick and all the Edmonton. So on the other side of that room is it's all windows. So the fans can look in. So they, they pulled down the blinds during the press conference because the only thing they don't really want is somebody flipping off Todd from an uh, Oilers fan while he's in there in this press conference. So, so oh, okay. um, <laughs> when we get back up for game five, um, again, to limit the noise, you know what the Kings should do? Win the game. Yeah. Then it, they'll I think solve that, everything. That would, that would solve everything. All yeah. problems are solved. Yeah, and the guy's the guy banging on the drum and Todd's trying to answer questions. There's a drum banging outside. It was just – because there's so many things going on in that building, the only room they had to, to stage a press conference was uh, was that building. But expect more. So I'm sure that every NHL coach would actually appreciate the noise outside because then it would be an excuse to cut the press conference short and just <laughs> saying, true. hey, guys, I'm sorry. I can't hear your questions and I can't think. So we're going to have to end this presser. I'll see you guys all tomorrow morning at, the, at this morning skate. Well, well Woodcroft won't do that because he um, – won't give him the opportunity to whine about the referee. Okay, so there you go. Kind of short. Exactly. <laughs> the, greatest the, podcast. <laughs> yeah, the greatest player in the world raised his hand, so that's it. Must have been a high stick. Okay. okay. Mic drop, mic drop moment. Dennis Bernstein, there you go. Uh, DB, game four. We'll talk to you then, and uh, thanks to everybody for listening. Enjoy game four, game five on the road in Edmonton. If necessary, game six, starting in about a month from now, back in Los Angeles, as there's an extended break. So we'll talk to everybody soon. Have a good one, everybody. I've got a lot of things to drink about, dream about, and run away from. I've got my job, I've got my girl, I've got the guaranteed destruction of this world. I gotta drink a bad dream about and run away should you plan for when your home becomes too small or when the next one gets too big at sandy spring bank 
We're here to help create personalized solutions for financing your home loan. Whether it's a new home or refinance, renovation or addition, fixer-upper or new build. Banking is a conversation. Let's talk about your mortgage. Visit sandyspringbank.com mortgage. Mortgage, home equity, and other credit products offered by Sandy Spring Bank, equal housing lender.